Hello and thank you for listening to episode 176 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows and in this one I am joined by co-host Chris. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very happy for you to join me on an interview show. I know, it's been a while, hasn't it? In fact, it might, no, was it three years ago? Or have we, We've interviewed people since then, haven't we, I think. Um, but yes, I, I was really looking forward to this one. I didn't want to oh. miss out on it for sure. Oh, exactly. I mean, because the last time, obviously, you know, people know, you know, they've looked at, you know, who the guest is on the show. It's John Robertson, a returning interview guest uh, who we last talked to. I know my, when I looked at the date for this, I was so shocked. The last time that we talked to him, and of course, it was recorded before this show was released, but this show was released on January the 1st, 2016, and it's John oh, Robertson. That's crazy. Crazy. I know. Three yeah. and a half years. Yeah, no. I I um I think probably what led to that interview was that I went to see him perform his live act, The Dark you Room. Did, yeah. Uh, and that was uh, that, that review went up on the thirty first of July two thousand and fifteen. Oh my god. So uh, I was thrilled to be able to then speak to John after that interview. Uh, sorry, after that um, live show, because that was I mean, if you go back and look at the review, I mean, it was in uh, somebody's kitchen. Um, it, was, it was. And I'll link I will link to that review in the uh, podcast notes on this as well. Yeah. So and, and so it's it's been a while. Uh, that's fair to say. Uh, but since then, you've been to see john haven't you yeah just a few months ago me and my son went to see him at the play expo in manchester uh doing the dark room show and oh my god we both loved it so much mm-hmm. uh you know we both bought t-shirts my son bought the dark room game you know after he'd seen john live he didn't know he, he didn't know a thing about it until you know before then and then he saw him and he just laughed his ass off and he went I want that t-shirt i want that game and yeah and he's completed the game and he's yeah He's a big, he's a big John Robertson fan now. Yeah. Seeing him, uh, so yeah, really looking forward to seeing him again. You know, after what has been three and a half years, really. Yeah, that's mad. Well, I, I've got a, a young child now, uh, which I didn't have at the time. So you know, this goes to show uh, <laughs> how, how much time has passed uh, since we since we last spoke. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm sure it's going to be a great time chatting to him. We're both really looking forward to it. And oh, yeah. yeah, as always, you know, we're always really appreciative of anybody that you know takes the time to come onto the show. Uh, you know, and John's been really enthusiastic uh, about coming on here, and I can't wait to hear more about his upcoming book that you know is going to be released on August the first as well. Mm. Yes, uh, and and uh, well, I mean that's crazy as well, isn't it? Sort of like you know, because obviously he was on TV with Video Game Nation, yeah. and, and he's doing his stand-up shows, and now he's going to be a published author with the little town of Marrowville. So uh, yeah, can't wait to hear more about that, and then later on uh, when the book's released, actually get it, get my hands on it. Yeah, me too, me too. So anyway, less about us. Let's. Uh... Let's bugger off and everybody can listen to John. All right. Oh, oh wow. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello. And we're all aboard. Oh, and we can see you as well. A added yes. bonus. Well, indeed. And yet at the same time, behold, that's enough of that. 
Oh, <laughs> oh god damn there it. There we go. No, no, I'm look, if we're not all going to the visibility party, no one's going to the visibility party. <laughs> it is a it is a totally unnecessary obstacle. Um although I quite like that apparently Skype can blur out the background, uh, which is very useful. Uh good. Mm. I was genuinely up here filming some audition pieces the other day on things that weren't Skype and spent had to spend fucking hours trying to make it look like I wasn't in my bedroom. <laughs> So there we go. Nice to know that Skype can do that. Very easy to cheat on someone, I imagine, with Skype if they can just blur out the background. It seems. What was it blurring out in your background? Well, not not much actually. It's blurring out a um. It's just blurring out a bed and a wall. But um, trying to film this fucking thing for ages, and then yeah, I ended up having to like fuck with the colours on this bit of footage so it didn't look like <laughs> I actually shot that in my bathroom, so it didn't look like I was sitting in the toilet, you know. And then the <laughs> and the people I sent it to went with the one that looked like it was in the bathroom because they thought it was funnier. So you know, <laughs> that's life. That's good. That so, could have been the, that could have been a good selling point of you sat on the toilet though. Well, well, the thing is, the um, the like the way this fucking very official grant application goes is, um, my wife pointed this out. I didn't realise that our loofah was hanging off the wall behind me the entire time. So it's <laughs> abundantly clear, like where I am. And then when I I stand up, I got quite excited because I was wearing board shorts. So I decided that I would show the um, the sort of funding panel what I was wearing, <laughs> and and that's what they decided to use. So there we go. That's that's good. No, you just oh, never so... know what what's, nah. what's the best thing to do. Well, I got my ass out. You know, it's for a bit of money. I've got to do something. Ah. So what, are, what are we doing, boys? Have we begun? Uh, well, obviously, we're recording right from the beginning. You, the, 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 this, will, this will probably make it into the outtakes, but of course, uh, as oh, you were, right. how does as something you... make how does something make it into the outtakes? That's uh, you know, like that, that defeats the purpose of an outtake. It just means you didn't make it into the thing. You know, it's not an accomplishment. Now, oh, good, you you've made an error. There we are. Yes. Congratulations. No, you've achieved an error. There we go. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> I like that. That's that yeah. sounds like something a very passive aggressive head teacher would say to you. <laughs> it's or almost a, or, it's almost like a, a game in achievement, isn't it? Yeah, or or a pediatrician. You know, just you've achieved an error. You've achieved you've achieved a mistake here. There we are. Look at him. He's running around, got a smile on his face. No idea, the boy. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what's what's happening, boys? Uh, yeah, well, of course, obviously, as I'll say when you know we get to the meat of the show, it's going to oh, be the meat. The no, meat. Good. The meat. All right, of it. let's all let's all pull out our meat. I'll turn the <laughs> Skype uh, camera back on. <laughs> Nobody put it in the background because it'll blur, as you oh, well know. We, we're not here for censorship, right? We're not. No, look, we're not showing each other our dicks here in central mainland China. <laughs> I, we're not going to have that censored. Yeah. I feel I have to put it onto full screen now, just in case. Uh, Really? You think you can fill up that massive space, mate? No, I'm not thinking of me. I'm thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, look, I, it, you would be unable. I mean, this is merely a 16-inch monitor uh, in front of me, and it would be unable to encompass but one-eighth of the girth alone. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, I'm really glad I've just bought a 65-inch TV just to sort of, you know, get the full appreciation. Well, that's nice that you've got a 65-inch TV. How is she? Anywho, there we go. There's a very... <laughs> <laughs> very very old uh very old joke there that's um that's like my thing about s&m people going to subway and getting excited by the six and a half inch sub you know that kind of thing so 
or six inch sub. Why did I add an extra half inch? I felt the need to overcompensate in my own joke. How upsetting. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not much, not much extra for the uh, twelve inch either, really. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not much extra. And how interesting! I've never heard such a, a statement that made somebody sound more like a size queen in my life. <laughs> it's not much extra the twelve inch. Oh. <laughs> can barely feel it, if anything. And, I mean, you, you are, are. Are you aware of um of the Marquis de Sade's letter to his wife on a similar matter? Are you aware of this? No, please, okay. please enlighten us. When when he was imprisoned at um at the asylum Charenton, um, the pleasure that he derived in in life was having his wife um come and deliver these dildos, which he would have. Um, he he was he was making diagrams for, and then this, you know, his wife, a noblewoman, would have to go into the market and speak to the woodworkers and be like, "Yeah, we need this thing of these exact dimensions." And um, he sent her this letter castigating her because apparently she was getting the measurements wrong. And so there's just this one which is just like, you know I can't feel anything less than four and a half inches in girth. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and I used to I used to add to that by having him accuse her of sanding them down. But, um, yeah, that didn't really ever add anything. It's one of those annoying things where something, you know, like, oh, dear, I thought I could improve on 500 years of history, but no, bugger. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh and and this is before the show proper oh my god well, yeah well why not why not indeed you know <laughs> i've just um you know my wife's just heard the miraculous words oh fuck it's now um i've left i've left, <laughs> I've left a dinner halfway in the bowl uh, it's pretty good you know and here we are i've run upstairs i've plugged everything in and you know it's dildo anecdote time, folks. <laughs> and we thank welcome, you for welcome it, back, John. Welcome back to the Rubber Dong Hour. Hope things are going well. We should change the name of our podcast to that. It's really the oh, Rubber I, Dong Hour. The Rubber yeah. Dong Hour. I mean, it really, it really kind of flows nicely off the tongue. The, it actually, the, it bounces off. It positively trips. <laughs> rubber Dong Hour. Yeah, good. Well, it, John, it's like three and a half years never happened because that's how long it is since we last recorded. With yeah, you. yeah, I um, I saw on Twitter yesterday, and when, when you were like, "Can it, you know, could it really be three and a half years?" I was like, oh, "I don't know, fuck." I mean, for in my mem my short term memory, and indeed, I guess three and a half years is moving into long term memory. But my memory <laughs> in itself is so bad that I was just kind of like, "Okay, I guess three and a half years just flew by," or I just never did another podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> at all you know it was just just one of those things it, very very confusing uh, <laughs> right yeah. well of course as you already know it's a you know explicit podcast you can say whatever you want which is always oh. good because we would oh, never no, we would never want to you know put the brakes on you now and... i've been censoring myself so far i mean if anything my, my oh. tongue's been blurred it's been appallingly appallingly pixelated the tongue uh yeah you know i feel remarkably like any genitalia on japanese television uh there we go <laughs> There's a there's a, a reference. Got a got a lot of thoughts about censorship in Southeast Asia at the minute. Uh, so there we go. Yeah, it's been three and a half years, and you know what Hong Kong had three and a half years ago? A touch of sovereignty. Anyway, there we go. 
I'll tell you something, because I've gone there and performed there a whole bunch of times. Some of the filthiest material I've ever heard is from Southeast Asia because, you know, the the cultural balance is completely different. And a lot of the material that I hear there sounds to me like racism. And then you you listen closer and you realise that in some cases you're actually incredibly right and in others you've you've misunderstood. (laughs) But it used to just be a thing that you, you could go down to Hong Kong and if you sort of made fun of the Chinese government, um, everybody would laugh because, of course, they're very afraid of the Chinese government. Um, but at that time, the Chinese government wasn't sort of just grabbing people and killing them. Uh, so, hey, I'm um, long story short, I'm not enough of a hero to return. Um, but, you know, I, I wish those protesters well. And, um, you know, great, great. <laughs> um, now, I'll... Um, I will. I will return. It's. It's just interesting. Like that whole. Whenever. Whenever I hear people up. Up in um the northern hemisphere whinging, and it's actually in Australia as well. You know the. Yeah, Australia. It, it's in the southern hemisphere. It's in Southeast Asia. But fuck, it wishes it was next to England. Um, the. <laughs> whenever I hear people whinging about freedom of speech and that whole kind of you can't say anything anymore, I'm like, go, go to Southeast Asia. You know, go go do stand up in Singapore. You know, because I can make fun of the government in Singapore and watch the entire audience start looking around to see who's going to inform and uh, who, you know, who's going to be shot and things like that. I've got a whole <laughs> a whole bloody routine about the black vans that the police drive that people just pretend aren't there. You know, it's good fun. I've done it every single time I've gone to Singapore and it's gotten a laugh exactly one time. And that was when I realized that. <laughs> You know what I mean? That was when I was like, oh, okay, this is an obscure pub that we're in. Uh, you know, there are no tourists here. They're, you know, these are just like locals who are like, nah, nah, the police are never going to come down here. So, yeah, it's, it's just confusing to me. I hear people just going on about, oh, my God, you know, I, I was going to say this at a university gig and I was told not to. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, man. Go perform in Bahrain. You can't make fun of the king, but the king's having all the students shot. So what else are they going to fucking talk about? <laughs> Gee, the roads are really clean, aren't they? You know, wow, not many people around, huh? You know, that sort of crud. Anyway, yeah. So there you go. A lot of lot of lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> although, although, thankfully, I think I just summarised all of them. You have no idea how many tedious tweets I just saved myself. We're more than happy to save you that time, John. <laughs> oh, thank, thank fuck. You know, like, that's a. That's a whole bunch of, you know, one one iota of thought at a time Twitter debates I can save myself, you know, just scrolling down the phone, just going, okay, cool, this guy's called me a dickhead. Well, I can do the thing that I normally do, which is I scroll through their photos until I find a picture of them with their children, and then I just say, are these your kids? And then they fuck off. That usually works. That's pretty good. You don't win the argument, but they come to fear you. Very good. <laughs> you know. Or, you know, I, I have seen people spend a lot of time being very polite on Twitter until they eventually change someone's mind. But my God, I can't can't be fucking bothered with that in, in any way. Any time I've tried that on social media. No, in fact, exactly one time it's worked out nicely. It's worked out really well because I was talking to this one bloke and he was just this young teenager and he's horrifically, you know, saying all this shit. And then I got him in private chat. And that's always the way. Like, that's the best thing. You know, and maybe this is what I'm saying. It's like, just have a private chat with somebody because that actually, you know, fucking works. Um, and what he did was he just revealed all the horrible shit that had happened to him recently. And that's why he felt that way. And then we managed to get him through it, you know, which is a wonderful fucking feeling. <laughs> Whereas, you know, at, a, at whatever it is now, 280 characters a throw, a, a debate in public is not a private conversation, you know. I'm not going to be like, oh, hey, man, I want you to really open up to me about your most intimate thoughts. Um, but, yeah, preferably over in a thread, 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like it's like years ago, years ago when I was on um Video Game Nation, um the woman uh Celine who ran I I, I think Celine did it, I don't know. Well it wasn't me. But whoever was running the account at the time um, I'd obviously gone looking for the uh, hashtag Video Game Nation or VGN and uh, had found two guys in Ireland uh, talking about how much they fucking hated me, like at, at considerable <laughs> length and, and great detail, you know, and that was that was fine. I'd found it myself, but I found it very funny, uh, you know, because I'd sort of spent a little bit of time pretending to be both of them, you know, at home. And, <laughs> you, you know, let, let, let's just say that there was a bit of Amdram Irish acting going on down the Robertson household and... Um, <laughs> you know all this and what what she did was she went oh hang on hang on you know i you you know you can't say these these terrible things and i just remember this one guy turning to her like and literally if they were in you know a bar it would be turning but what his reply to the official account was what are you doing we are having a private conversation and it was that moment of going well hold on a minute (laughs) What the fuck? <laughs> and that's it. People, people genuinely like they—they they think that Twitter and social media exist in this weird, weird conflagration of private and public. You know, it's—it's it's very, very strange. I should be able to say whatever I want, really, in public, all the time. Really, that seems weird. Like, I—I I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's a whole bunch of riot police coming towards you. Is now a really good time to shout, "Hey, you fat fascist pigs!" You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I mean, you might be doing it anyway. That might be why they're coming towards you. But it seems like that might get their attention. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where, like, I think people think to themselves, I should be able to say whatever I want in my own home. It's like, you absolutely can. But up until the advent of the Internet, you didn't have the ability to broadcast your every innermost thought. You know? It's odd. And then, of course, this is all from a generation that has no memory of just sitting around on fucking message boards talking to exactly four other people, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's very odd i've watched i've watched the social media generation fucking completely eat itself it has no memory of its past in any way it's like anytime i hear people going my god the youth are getting radicalized by the internet i'm like well hold on a minute what the fuck was anonymous that was 10 years ago <laughs> what the fuck yeah it's still fucking happening why the fuck would that have changed you know <laughs> It'll own, you know, it'll change the second somebody finds a way to make money out of it. Oh wait, they have, you know. <laughs> Fuck. Anywho, anyway, there we go. I I would thoroughly encourage everybody listening to this to follow you online, especially Twitter, oh. John. Oh, um, thank you. Because it, it, I mean, there's things that you put online, obviously on Twitter about you know your upcoming book that we will get to. Oh, sure um, we will. Sure we will. You will. We'll get to the book in the same way I got to the fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> this this is how this is my blood. This is how my mental patterns and speech patterns work. If I'm given attention, my God, the second a major publishing company said, "Look, we're going to publish your book," you best believe I did everything but write the book for ages. <laughs> <laughs> Like, cannot wait to hear the story of this book. I really can't <laughs> until 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 we get to that point. Uh, yeah. Like I said, three three and a half years. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah um, wow, I, wow, yeah, man. Uh, I'm I'm not going to put you through. You know, get all our listeners and us up to date every single day in those three and a half years of what you've done. Well, um, that, that would take us to what to um, what halfway through 2015, wouldn't it? At least, at least. Um, yeah, okay. but, but, but oh, wait, the... no, no, that takes us to the start of 2016. It's June. Now. <laughs> no, it's July now. Yeah, it takes us to the start of 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, across it. Some yeah. of the things that happened, of course, like Chris, um, 
I'd had already seen you live. Uh, mm. But earlier this year, me and my son saw you live <laughs> at last at the Play Expo in Manchester. Oh, and oh, we had a lot of and, uh, I've got to tell you this, John, and just yeah. just get semi-serious for a minute because I'm okay. sure the, the majority of, the, of this podcast will not be serious whatsoever. I um, hope not. Uh, no, it'll be too. by accident if that happens. I was, <laughs> I was fully prepared to tell some jokes. If it gets serious, I've failed deeply. <laughs> oh, no, John Robertson showed up. Oh, did he just make a series of statements? Yes. God, yeah. <laughs> that's the sort of thing we've come to expect from him. It's just a series of humour-free statements. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, please, please, please tell me, because I, it was lovely to see you. You were you were kind enough to introduce yourself, which was good. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I, I took my son. He's he's nineteen yes. now, and they like you know he suffers from Asperger's, and the big thing with him for many years since he was a small child, his and I've tried to take him out, and it's been even in the past, and this is why it was such a big deal to meet you. Even I think it was like about seven or eight years ago, I took him to play Expo in Manchester, and we drove all the way there, and we got outside, and he could not face going in because of his Aspergers. Mm. But because of you being there, we got in there, we played all the retro games and everything, uh, we went and saw you, and holy shit, we both laughed our arse off <laughs> and and the highlight was because where we were sat you jumped up on the seat directly in front of us and he's never stopped talking about it since and we both oh. after, after the gig we you know, we both bought t-shirts and again i put on our twitter account uh, you know mm. i bought my uh, which is my favorite t-shirt ever i've got to admit it's my flamboyant <laughs> potato t-shirt and, and and just the other week i met uli john roth i get to, oh yes, god yes. Who, you know, I've been a fan of for 40 years. I wore my flamboyant potato t-shirt and had my picture taken with my arm around him, which was, you know, again, absolutely awesome. And, you know, I, I was tweeted delighted to, you. to see that. that. That tickled me no end, mate. That was... Uh, and and so my son bought a t-shirt as well um and it, it was the one which is the one where it's like loading oh it, it's the one with the oh, loading from, anxiety loading yeah. anxiety so that fits with him and his aspergers uh, he he bought the dark room uh, steam code for oh, you know for, for the game he's completed it as well um, Okay. He has, yeah. So we can't wait for the next parts of it as Excellent. well. So I think this is a good point as well to go on. I mean, please tell everybody about the Dark Room game because I've had so many messages from him going, "I fucking love this game. I can't wait for the next part of it." <laughs> oh, good. Oh, that's oh, that's um, that's bloody amazing to hear. Um, and and <laughs> and, and to be fair, when um, when we initially released it, I was um, the the second anybody liked it, I was I was amazed <laughs> and um, <laughs> deeply pleased. Oh no, that I'm I'm so glad he had a good time. Um, the um, yeah yeah the the dark room game is the Steam adaptation of uh, of the dark room live show. And uh, what what we've done is we've put there's an hour of motion captured footage uh, in level one at the minute, and that took a, a fair while to record. And we're adding we've got an extra two and a half hours of footage that got filmed. Um, footage that got filmed. Well, of course it did, but nevertheless, um, you know, uh, yeah, great, great. If it hadn't been filmed, John, it wouldn't be footage. It would have just been time. Uh, but yeah, we've got two and a half hours of, of extra footage. And what's happened is we're going to do this graphical devolution, uh, you know, because let's be fair, games, uh, games, as it turns out, very expensive uh, to make. Um, so we're going to do this graphical devolution. So in levels two and three, suddenly the dark room exists in um, pixel graphics. So you've got a game that starts off 
with you are trapped in a dark room with this full-bodied figure in front of you and you have to pick options and it's it feels like a text adventure and then mm. it's going to devolve so it starts to look like a text adventure in levels two <laughs> oh, and three wow. and yeah we've got um, two and a half hours of extra content to put in and that will it, it's going to be really interesting because like a lot of what's happened at the moment because we released level one into early access uh, that's kind of existed. Well, that's existed as its own self-contained thing where there's stuff in that level that were, that was always designed to impact on what's happening in levels two and levels three, and then in darkest mode, which is how it all finishes up. And what's amazing to me is I know people have messaged me and they're like, yeah, yeah, I did this and I did this, I did this. And so I know where they're sitting. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I know what happens to them when they reach level two. And I'm delighted because there are people who are like, yeah, I did it and it's great and I'm set and yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. You make it two screens into the next level and you get fucked up. What happens to you? <laughs> you know, I don't I don't tell them this necessarily, but it's like it's one of those things where because when if people don't know the game at all and, and you know, that's 99.9% of the world population, um, <laughs> right? When you get trapped in a dark room uh, with the character, the Guardian, who is me, motion captured, and suddenly with a very deep English accent like so, <laughs> um, when that happens, right, you become aware that you must escape the dark room and that there's a story to unlock, but there's also a lot of sort of absurd comedy and a lot of weird puzzles. And one thing that I really like doing is I don't want to make it clear what's the puzzle and what's the joke. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. we can we we do a thing where like there is a story under there, and pe people have said to me, you know, like you know, like oh, uh, good games teach people how to play, and they they drag people along the story, right? And they they sort of you know, and 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 when it's done well, you won't know that you're being pushed along the story. And the thing is, we've done the first part, right? That's that's done deliberately. We've deli you know, we've set it up so that the game teaches you how to play itself. That's fine. After that, right, 1980s text adventures, if you found the things that you needed, you got them. If you didn't find them, the game did not give a fuck about you. And that's the logic here. You know, it's a deliberate inversion of modern game design. So, like, whereas I might play a game, I mean, I play games now, you know, 3D, you know, third-person action adventures that promise you the fucking world, you know, absolutely promise you the world. You can run around, you can do just about anything. And, you know, unless, of course, you're looking for the main storyline, in which case you're going to run down a bunch of convenient valleys that happen to, run, you know, run lead you to exactly the NPC you need to talk to, things like that. But, you know, like, I'm crafting this, I'm doing that, I've customised this. It's like, well, cool, come and play the dark room. You don't move, you can't see yourself. You can't customize your character. You don't get any of the good lines. I do, right? And uh, how do you play? Well, you can pick one of four options off the screen. It's deeply minimal. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but the interesting thing is, you know, it means that it leaves room for one thing that modern games don't have at the moment, and that's room for actual imagination. Yeah. And that's, some, that's something, you know. It's like, why am I in this dark room? Who is this person? Who am I? What's going on? These are all questions you need to ask, and you can find bits as you go on, right? Whereas when I play, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging them because they're beautifully made, but when I play third-person action adventures, I shut my brain off, right? And my wife goes, go pick up that barrel. Go get that. Go get that. Go get the treasure, right? And we do a checklist. You know what I mean? Like whenever I hear of, oh, someone's gone and 100% at one of those games, I'm like, oh, cool. So you had a shopping list. 
And you got everything on the shopping list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you must be delighted. Yeah. Oh, oh, the game told me a really good story. It's like, yeah, did it feel a bit like watching a film? Yeah, it felt like watching a film. Cool. You know what's amazing about films? You don't have to imagine anything. The film does it fucking for you. You know, the work that you do is occasionally, enga- you know, is emotionally engaging with the movie. Right. So I'm just like, no, fuck it. Leave gaps. You know, have shit that happens off camera. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. I'm, I'm interested in that. And that's what I do. It also really, really saves time on having to write a coherent narrative. <laughs> just saying, just saying, you know, like leave gaps for people for fuck's sake. Don't, don't leave them forever. I mean, I just tried to watch um, David Lynch's Blue Velvet uh, for the first time in 16 years the other day. And I'll tell you, um, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that when you, when you watch a movie in your mid-teens, and maybe you don't remember that, you know, during the slow bits you maybe played a video game or masturbated or something else, right? <laughs> it's one of the, you know, there are obviously some appallingly shocking moments in that movie, but if you put those in terms of, you know, actual screen time, that's about two and a half minutes of a two-hour-long film, and the rest of the movie is a bunch of people who don't quite talk like normal people looking at each other and behaving in a very slow-moving, unbelievable way... And unless you engage with that fully, it could be said that the movie's very boring. Because <laughs> it kind of is. Like yeah, if you're not, it is. <laughs> it is. It's very dull. It's it's just one of those things. Like I like leaving stuff off camera, right? But I like things to be like totally dynamic. Like you know, like if anyone's sitting there going, "Oh well, hold on, this game sounds like it's really still." Like no, 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 no. It is, it is profoundly busy. You know, it's busy because I'm busy. Like. Uh, you know, it's a game where you as the player are being verbally abused by the antagonist the entire time and he locks eyes with you and it produces this intimate thing. You know, it's why when I talk to people about it, I'm like, this is the only game where like when it's complete, we're talking about, mate, you know, you could get three and a half hours of playtime out of this, which is just you with one person. You just interacted with one person. It's essentially a conversation. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I can't think of another game like that. And the weirdest thing is it works. It completely works. There was all sorts of stuff that I was told early in the development process that a couple of people were like, no, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, and we broke all those rules and we were right. So there we go. I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, that that sounds profoundly self-aggrandizing, not going to lie. The game's got its pitfalls, but we've, we're working on them. Some of those pitfalls are deliberate. There you go. <laughs> Bit of fun. Is it an error? Actually, that's been the nicest thing because we have had people message me um, and they've actually encountered glitches in the game, but they've, they're so tuned in to the game's sense of sadism that they're like, is this, um, is this a glitch or is this deliberate? Yeah. <laughs> and they're not, they're not being pricks about it. They're just sort of like, yeah, anyway, um, I was talking to your character, but then your character just sank into the floor. Is that a graphics error or does it mean something? That's perfect. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, it means that they're watching. It means that they're engaged and not not like YouTube engaged in that sense of like, oh, somebody said a thing that was badly researched. So now I'm, you know, I'm emotionally engaged. I'm angry at, about, about what he was saying. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't mean that people get angry because things are badly researched. I mean, YouTube's the only research people do. They get, in, you know, and they get incredibly upset. They see one thing. It's like game developers stealing your money. What? Mm, I'm doing them. Mm, you know, and they get incredibly upset. You know, which is always interesting to me because when I see people acting like that's new, I'm like, well, I remember being a teenager. Anything that's felt like it impinged on it, things I was interested in felt like it was ripping my heart out. Huh. 
And I see a group I see a group of people in their thirties and forties and fifties haven't given that up. Interesting. Yeah. You should uh, think about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> occasionally. It's it's incredible that your uh, billion dollar hobby doesn't just fucking vanish. It's amazing. It's absolutely astonishing. People have had a bunch of theories about how movies should work for fucking decades. It's incredible how they still get made, you know? <laughs> absolutely amazing. People have had a lot of opinions about the theatre for fucking centuries. It's still on. Very strange. <laughs> just um, <laughs> Don't know. Don't know, mate. Don't just, oh, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things. Like, the thing that I always wanted, like, with the Darkroom game itself was, like, when people play, you can enjoy it. Like, because people sometimes, they, I know that people have been doing this. They, um, there have been pubs that projected onto the wall and people just play it as a party game. And that's fun because, you know, you're getting abused and for making stupid choices and shit like that. And that's fun. But, like, when somebody gets really locked in and they're playing on their own or they're playing with a friend, it's just like when I was doing text adventures when I was a kid, you know, and you're fucking writing shit down and all that, you know, and all this. But when someone can message me and be like, oh, okay, you, your character vanished or, you know, like, oh, this seemed to glitch, was that deliberate, right? Then, then I'm like, good, it means that they are watching everything and they're taking note of everything. And that's good, you know, because that's that's probably the easy, you know, that's the best way to find the stuff that you want. You know what I mean? And and also, it just I don't know. That makes me happy that people would engage in that manner. It's fucking lovely. It's so just fun, fun times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just looking on Steam, and it's got 94 positive, very positive reviews. Oh, good. Uh, you, you'll be pleased to know that one of the top reviews has played it for 26 and a half hours. Yay. Good. You've been referred to as uh, Sephiroth twice. Oh, yes, yes, that happens. Uh, Low-budget low Sephiroth. Uh, yeah. Thank you kindly, yep. Sephiroth's drunk cousin, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, good-o, good-o. Uh, very, yeah. very, very well-worn very well worn insult templates there. Very yeah. well-worn. <laughs> You'd be astonished how many people look like low-budget something or occasionally or fat something or somebody fallen on hard times. I'm, I'm, I'm very taken with it. <laughs> uh this other one though he says this is this has got to sell the game got fist, oh, yeah. fisted by a gorilla fed vomit to a puppy and died constantly absolutely loving it so if that's recommended <laughs> then oh that's awesome that um that reminds me very much of a uh, <laughs> that reminds me of a lovely set of tweets i wish i could remember um the uh, the handle of the guy who wrote this because it's very funny it was um a few fringes ago possibly three and a half years ago um this guy uh, wrote, um, that was it, he was coming up to the Edinburgh Fringe where I was on, and he goes, uh, saw John Robertson last year, both shows, had horrible panic attacks both times. And then there was a follow-up <laughs> tweet which went, can't wait for this year. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I fucking adore that. That's that's good. I, I have also, like, because um, I know some, like, some people get hung up on um, on negative reviews. Like, I, I have known people to be like, oh, how can you... How can you be like that if somebody said something about you? Because we've had, um, I, I, I don't know how many, I think it's three negative user reviews, but one was from a guy who'd installed it and hadn't realized that his computer couldn't run it, which was pretty good. Um, one was from a guy who was like, well, this is illogical and it's all random. And the thing is, whenever I hear somebody say the word random about the darkroom or illogical, I can just kind of go, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't your thing. You didn't engage with it because I spent time on that logic. You know, it is it is a concussed logic. It is a wonky logic, but it is fucking there. You know what I mean? <laughs> also, if anyone comes to a comedy game and starts going on about it, it was illogical. Like, oh, no. What a, how did that happen? Oh, no. Really? What a pity. 
I was watching this Monty Python program and the man was walking in a foolish manner. Oh, why? Why is he doing that? Yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, well. Not, I mean, you know, not saying that it's invalid in any way, but it is one of those things of, okay, you might not have known what you were getting into. Or, or of course, you might have missed the part where it was meant to be funny or perhaps, oh, good, good. The dog of humour has apparently arrived. Can you hear that as well? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> dog barking? Oh, thanks. Perfect yeah, timing. I, well, that's interesting because, to the best of my knowledge, there are no dogs in this neighbourhood. So why... <laughs> It's it's one of those, I don't know if you find this, but the second you set a microphone up connected to a computer, suddenly every noise in the neighbourhood just appears out of nowhere. Yeah. 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 yeah well, there's a there's a bloke down the road who has a drill that usually comes out when I get my mic out. I'm pleased he's not currently in evidence. So there we go. <laughs> well, well, Dave, you have a chip van that comes around your yeah. Estate, luckily, yeah. Luckily, we're not recording on a Friday night because it's right. the uh, yeah it's the local chip van that comes right. up and plays these bizarre tunes through some sort of bell PA yeah. system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was I was about to say like you know because I know ice cream vans of course play a song. I had no idea that the chip van. Died. Yeah. Yeah. Here in here in the Welsh villages, there's a fish and chip van every Friday that comes up here and does just the same. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, get your fat, get your fat. We got fat, we got grease, yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, that's I, I don't know. I would I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Um yeah, because like when I was a kid, we we didn't have any anything like that, but we had a guy there was a guy called Mario who used to just come round with a cart. Like he, he just had a cart on that he pulled along with his motorbike and it was a fruit store. And we lived in the bloody desert. And, you know, you'd just be like, he would come around at a particular time of day. And I remember being a child and you could just go stand out the front of your house and this motorbike, you know, with fruit dragged behind it would just suddenly appear. And then this lovely Italian man would, uh, you know, like put cherries over your ears like they were earrings. It was just gorgeous. <laughs> you know, so your, uh, your inconvenient uh, chip van has reminded me pleasantly of this. <laughs> it's reminded me of, of Mario the Fruiterer, a very, very oh, kind man. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, obviously he didn't. I I think he might have sung occasionally, but no, he did not. He did not. Oh, actually, kind of think of it. Um, I was in Cambodia one time. There are guys there on motorbikes um, or through Phnom Penh uh, who have they, you know, they sell food and they've got like. Yeah, it's it's like a um, I guess a three wheeled motorbike, and then where your um, your side carriage would be instead is just like whatever food they're going to sell on some sort of um, stand or tray. Well, I, I can't think of the word. Um, but what I heard was as I, I had just left the hotel and I was walking down the street, and I heard what I took to be um, some sort of like official government announcement because it sounded like it was coming out of a tannoy. And it was just this kind of, and then you would just hear this baby crying, right? And then it just kept repeating, right? Just, and I, I became aware that it was coming off this side of this bloke's motorbike as he got closer to me. And he pulled up, and what he did was he sold snails. He he was just oh selling selling plastic bags of cooked snails, and I'm very partial. Uh, to a bit of cooked snail, um, and what? So I, you know, waited for whatever garlic or whatever, and he ga- he gave me this thing, and he gave me this small sachet. What I realised was MSG, just just pure pure MSG, <laughs> and then the thing kept playing, and I realised what it was was the bloke who had been making a recording in his house, and the recording is him 
saying in the local language. He's pretty much saying, snails, come get your snails, snails. But then his child has cried and he just hasn't cut it out. So... <laughs> And it, just on loop, it is the most fucking heart-rending thing. And then, yeah, I, I ate one. I managed to eat one of the snails, and it was just, it was the fucking worst, man. Like, <laughs> everything else I ate in Cambodia from, from any street vendor was amazing. But uh, this could have just been some mad bloke, you know, just a mad bloke with a crying baby and some snails he'd gathered from God knows where, you know, and killed a few of them. Gave, <laughs> Jesus, it was grim. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you well, now associate snails with like crying children uh no no unless you know obviously you know you, you have the baby there in the pram and you just slowly lower the live snail onto its tiny perfectly round head and you can slowly watch the thing ooze along and the child might weep but what are you going to do where's your eye hand coordination you've got no musculature Oh, no, it's on the Fontanelli. If it stays there too long, it'll warp. You'll have a dented forehead. Ah, what are you going to do? Yeah, I don't have children. Anyway. <laughs> Before we get onto the book, which, of mm. course, we will get onto. That's uh, fine. One question I've got to ask you now, now that I've finally seen you live, um, and, you know, the... You know the improv that you do on a live show every night, and you you know obviously you've got to be on your toes. Have you ever like been been stuck as of what to say and what to do? Oh yeah, yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah. It, it the thing is because I've been I've been performing for sixteen years. Like I used to get stuck all the time, and I would get stuck on like really easy shit. You know, like. <laughs> It'd be like somebody yelling, shut up, or you're shit. And then, you know, like, I mean, you can you can fix that by pretty much going, like, looking at the guy like you're interested in him, being like, you're shit, you know, because that's just weak as fuck. Nothing, you know what I mean? There's nothing really to say. You know, you can do, do a whole bunch of stuff. But no, I used to be um, not hugely volatile when I was a teenager trying to do stand-up. Um, uh, and what, what I had was I had a lot of ambition, uh, I thought very, very highly of myself, not in the sense that I thought I was really good at stand-up. I just thought that I should be really good at stand-ups. And any time I wasn't, I was letting myself down deeply. And what that manifested itself as were, were just extreme mood swings, um, such as one might find during menopause or um, great incidents of bipolar. Um, yeah, like a friend of mine said to me, he was like, yeah, you were good. We just we just couldn't use you because, like, literally somebody would, like, drop a glass and you'd be like, motherfucker, tell you fucking throw it out, you know. And that was it. Like, for, for a while, for a while, that's how I coped with things. Like, I, I learned to respond just by being super aggressive. And I, I have a memory now, which I realize is an audience as one realizing that the, the young man who is saying the aggressive thing in front of them is pretty much on autopilot. Um, you know, cause somebody had said something and then I, um, I, I'd said something along the lines of, I was going to introduce them to my good friend, Dr. Martin, who would perform a cunterectomy, which meant that they would be removed. <laughs> and, and I, I said that and I was just doing this. And, and I remember, and the thing is the voice that said, oh, that was very good. Like just from the crowd was just somebody who, um, was like, okay, good. You know, they were sort of like, well, he's been kind of throwing off barbs for a while, but that one was really good. And it was the person I was attacking. And the, it wasn't like the person was being like, oh, how amusing or, uh, what, you know, or like, so what, or whatever. It was just a guy going, well, this young man's clearly got some problems, but he's giving it a go. And, um, oh, good one. He's, he's come up with a good one and excellent. You know what I mean? And that was 
that was a hell of a thing because I I remember that evening because I that was me I was emceeing at a comedy club which at that time I was just starting to get to do a lot of work at and um, the headliner that evening was a man called Chris the Bloke Franklin who's a very very gentle man and deeply deeply funny um, who you know at one point went to jail uh, and bit off someone no had his nose bitten off that was you know. His, <laughs> He said, look, Chris has, look, if you ever meet him, he is the kindest, loveliest bloody man in the world. He's the salt of the earth and he's wonderful to hang out with. But Chris has had a life full of genuine incident, right? And has the, he has that kind of good character that only comes from that sort of life, you know what I mean? Um, but what happened was I, I was led to understand uh, that Chris enjoyed a drink. And I was so stressed out about the gig that I had taken a bottle of Jack Daniels that I had at home. And I drank most of the bottle of Jack Daniels. So of course, so of course, during a show, I mean, an MC at a comedy club, you know, like in in the UK, it's very much a hello, everybody. Let's all agree we're having a good time. You there? Where are you from? Golly, that's a place. Wow. Let's all be. You know what I mean? It's that kind of let's all be together. Um, but I would come out and just kind of be like, we're going to do this. And then I would like just go straight into material because to be fair, I was loud. I was obnoxious. I was very easy to look at. Like the second I got on stage, everyone was paying attention to me, but I had no idea how to relate to the audience in any way. Right. So that night I just got drunker and drunker and drunker. And it turned out that Chris, who does love, does love a drink and who's on stage catchphrases, I love drinking. Right. Turned out that Chris at that point was actually off the booze. Um, so he turned to my mate Don, Don Smith, very talented comedian who was on, uh, who was also off the drink, and turns to Don and goes, uh, does the uh, does the MC uh, usually drink like this? And Don's just like, I've never seen him drunk. He was just like, why is he doing this? And that was it. It was just, you know, I was just a, a young man who, um, whilst not tongue-tied, just had no idea how to deal with any interruption, and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and um, the phrase, you know, the, the counterectomy line um, got followed by the phrase, please welcome your headliner, Chris Franklin. So, you know... <laughs> Terrific. Terrific. Imagine, you know, look, yeah, usually an MC might tell you that the night is good. Well, this MC just physically threatened to beat the shit out of that guy and, <laughs> and then brought on the headliner, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I've, um, I realise over time, I've, um, I've, uh, m- most of the times I've been stumped on stage have been entirely my own problem, <laughs> you know. Like... Oh, well, we loved you and, you know, my oh, son still you. goes on to this day. Um, you know, because you've got such a broad range of uh, the age ranges of mm. that particular place as well, and you've got this 14-year-old lad, you know, who was picked, you know, to, to pick one of the options from the dark room. Oh, and now my son still goes on about how you had to go at him uh, for being 14 years old and he's you know his his main things in life were just either a posting to snapchat or b masturbating yes and yeah and he he's he still just cracks up about that today. i'm glad i'm glad you know and the interesting thing is right i can I, I can keep making that observation about teenage boys because, so help me, I was a teenage boy <laughs> and various things change, but puberty doesn't. You know, exactly. it's still there. Until <laughs> until they fi- until puberty 2.0 arrives or iPuberty, you know what I mean? Until, until puberty is accomplished wirelessly. <laughs> You know, that that's just one of those things. And it, and it's really weird. Like, this is just something I found out. I mean, I realize, of course, that what's happening is, of course, is you, you're embarrassing the teenager. But thing that 
the, the strangest thing for me is like when I when I do that, like I used to I used to wonder when I was a teenager because I'd be like reading um, like Hunter S. Thompson and Kurt Vonnegut and um, and William Burroughs and and all these people who and I, and and this is just a note out there to to the young ladies and to the people who or just anyone who might come to you know date a teenage boy if you know when you're a teenager. Um, if you meet somebody who says that they like Hunter Thompson and William Burroughs and Kurt Vonnegut and Chuck Bukowski, that's usually a pretty poor sign if Charles Bukowski's appeared. Um, if they're in their teens, um, try to make certain that they don't take those things too seriously or as instructions, or you're going to have a very boring <laughs> fucking time. Um, <laughs> If if that person is still doing that by their mid twenties and they they like anything other than the literary style, and I, I I've put Kurt Vonnegut in here just because he well he's the one of the better stylists of them except for his later work, but that's not important. He's got a lot of things published. What the who the fuck am I to say anything? Um, <laughs> the you know I'm I'm just making the point that I've met people in their you know in their late twenties and thirties who have lionized these dickheads and they you know they end up being very very fucking dull, right? But the theory I had when I was a teenager, I was like, I wonder, because there I am, I'm reading Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I had no interest in drugs, right? Now, bearing in mind, I'm reading it in the year 2000, right? The book comes out in uh, 1972. So we've got a fairly long whack of time, right? Mm-hmm. I'm reading this thing and I'm like, wow, this is amazing, you know? Like they're talking about Richard Nixon. Now I know who Richard Nixon is, but that's because I used to read a lot of Mad Magazines when I was a kid and Mad Magazines, you know, <laughs> fucking obsessed with making fun of things from 30 years ago. <laughs> anyway... Um, you know, I'm reading this thing and I'm like, okay, I mean, he says fuck a lot, you know, that guy's a gutless cocksucker, you know, just all of this really gruesome language, you know what I mean? And that, that was also just one of those things I didn't, I didn't realize the first, uh, this will sound stupidly ignorant, but it was, and this is again, what I'm saying. If you meet, you know, a teenager who's like, I really like Hunter S. Thompson. It's like, yeah, but you don't understand it. You know, you don't get it. (laughs) Right, I, I read the word cocksucker, and I did, I was like, wow. And then somebody had to explain to me that that was a homophobic slur, and I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? Because I, for whatever reason, in my mind, I was like, yeah, it's just somebody sucking cock with no context. Yeah, like all the time, like it's a compulsive thing, right? And then I, then I, of course, I realized it's like, oh, it's saying that it's bad to suck a cock in general. Oh, oh, that's that's very annoying, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, yeah, they, oh no, you know, but you, you know what I mean? Like, but let that be an example of great ignorance. It's like I saw train spotting at age 16, and I knew I was too young to watch train spotting because I was watching it. I, you know, and there's all these Scottish heroin addicts, and I was confused as to why they weren't wearing kilts, you know? <laughs> and, you know, because in, in my child brain, that's what Scottish people did. So I was totally baffled by the <laughs> fucking arrival of jeans. How the hell was I going to cope with heroin? You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, the the general point that I'm making is right. <laughs> I thought that old people swearing, like old men swearing, would like probably just cut through and still be a universal thing. Like older guys swearing with style communicate <laughs> with young people better than just about anything, except except like anger. If you're angry about the thing that they're angry with, or you can set the um, agenda for what makes them angry, that works really well too. Mm. You know. So do so do actually nice things like empowering them, you know. But uh, you know, I I'm still sort of stuck on the kind of shit YouTube track I was thinking of before. But it is just one of those things. Like if you can turn to a teenage boy and just be like, yeah, whatever, you wanker, right? There's nothing more true that you can say about that kid, right? Un- unless the kid's asexual, which is possible, right? But if you're looking at a teenage boy who presents as a teenage boy whatever sexual, you know, predilections they have, right, 
the hormones have arrived, and yeah, chances are they have been pumping their fist for the last 17 hours. <laughs> and the weirdest thing is, they think it's a secret. <laughs> yeah. You know, how did you know? My God, it's like, well, I don't want to stereotype you, but I'm right. You think you're a massive individual. There's 40 fucking thousand of you. And I bet that you, you know, and the chemicals in your brain make you think that everything that's happening to you has never happened to anybody else. <laughs> fucking amazing. You know, I I mean, I was, you know, I, I've had a wonderful, like when people talk about male privilege, right? Here's something for you. One of the best things that I, I can do is I'm a 34-year-old man, right? <laughs> Which means I went through male fucking puberty. And that gives me the right to shit on any young man I meet going through male puberty. Because you can just walk around and just sort of be like, oh, you've got some opinions about women, do you? Or you've got th opinions about boys, or you've got opinions about whoever it is you want to sleep with. Let me tell you something. You're wrong. Whatever it is. Anything you're thinking is just amplified out of all fucking proportion. And by about 25, you'll sort yourself out. If not earlier. <laughs> and if you don't, fucking hell, there'll be a happy home for you on the internet, pal. Sitting there and your other fucking incel mates. You know, oh, oh, the women won't look at me. It's their fault. Mm, I'll buy a machine gun. Ah, fuck. <laughs> Ridiculous. You know what I mean? Just one of those things. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's very true, is, is what I can say. Well, there we are. You know, it's yeah. like I, you know, it's like I, I still have, um, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with almost every single person um, that I dated when I was a teenager. And I'm very, very good friends with most of them. And my God in heaven, as I look back, right, when, when I think about it, I was like, oh, who was the problem in all of those teenage relationships? Oh, oh, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> when, when my first girlfriend said that she wouldn't marry me uh, on our first date, what she meant was that uh, we, she was just, you know, like this was just a thing and it might develop into something more, right? But I took this as a great insult and I remember my mother having to explain to me that it wasn't, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, like that, it's that sort of thing where it's like puberty um, seems to, it seems to kind of just work like a cheese grater um, to the ego, so just, you know, the, the young boy is now hypersensitive about fucking everything. And, you know, I mean, I did know some young boys who didn't seem as hypersensitive as I was. But then at the same time, I, I talk to them now and I'm like, no, no, you, you internalised it. And now in your mid-30s, it's come back. This is pretty grim. <laughs> Jesus, you know. Why didn't you just loudly get it out of your system like I did and make yourself really fucking inconvenient for a bunch of people? That was my plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John's sad. Well, get ready to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk, talking about getting stuff out of your system. I oh, mean, yeah. let, let let's move on to your like your upcoming book released mm. released on the first of August of this 1st year. First of August in the UK and sixth um, of August in Australia. Yeah, the little town of Marrowville. Yes. Now, obviously, the first thing I've got to ask you, John, is. Holy shit, if there's somebody that I want to ask to write, you know, a children's book, <laughs> you know, you would not be the first. I'm sorry to say. No, if, no, you that's know, fine. Kama Sutra Part 2, <laughs> you would be high up there, I've got to admit. Yeah, but, yeah, but the Kama Sutra, if I wrote the Kama Sutra, there'd be a lot of props and very little cardio. It's, <laughs> it, it's a very minimal flexibility situation I'm in. It's... <laughs> You know, my God, 
I have no time for the Congress of the Ant or whatever it was called. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, no, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. So what, what was the series of events that you've got this kids book coming out? I do. I have I have a children's novel uh, coming out. Um, it, okay, and I, and I'll tell you, and it everything that happened is everything that I adore about living and working in the United Kingdom, and 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 to, and to be fair, by extension, Europe. Right. Mm. Um, what happened was I was scrolling through my Twitter feed one day, and I, I was going through my followers, and I, I found a man called Gary, and Gary. Um, Gary's bio said that he was an editor for a penguin and sometimes a puffin. <laughs> and I, I thought, well, hold on a minute. That that couldn't possibly be world-famous publisher Penguin. Mm, yeah. And world, you know, and I, you know, and of course it was. And I absolutely, you know, like I remember, I remember first seeing the puffin logo on some naughty books that I owned. God, yeah, me too. Mm, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and... I mean, it, it was overwhelming, and I have so. Oh, it's gone quiet, John. Oh, yeah. Hello. Oh no. Oh man. Oh. Oh. What's happened? John. Fucking Skype. Here we go again. Oh, oh what a bastard. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, good. Sorry. Hang on. There we go. It's just sorting itself out. Oh, thank God for that. Oh, yeah. There we go. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, don't know what just happened there. That was very confusing. <laughs> I, I, I knocked the cable. Oh, that's always, always the way. <laughs> oh, we uh, thought it was just Skype crapping it again. Yeah, we did. No, 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 don't worry. No, that was entirely my fault. Um, <laughs> the Yeah. So, Gary's, you know, was an editor for Puffin. And he um, he put out once I followed him he put out a um, a tweet saying he was looking for somebody to edit together a Roald Dahl encyclopedia, right? And mm. I, I I pitched for the job and had a love you know lovely set of ideas and because I was very familiar with the works of Roald Dahl, and then um, Gary was good enough to explain to me that he was a fan of the Dark Room that he'd come to see me live and if I ever had an idea for a children's book that I should absolutely let him know. Wow, and um, and I was you know completely taken aback by this, and and I thought, well, you know, no such idea exists. Um, all right, you know, and I sort of let it go, and and then um, he messaged a, se a a second time, and I thought, well, Christ, they're not going to message a third, you know, my <laughs> go just go and sit down and go just write something, just you know you. The idea is you're going to write something now for children, so go and write something. And I wrote a, a I immediately wrote, and, it, and it's in there, it's in the book, it's chapter one in the little town of Maraville, and almost totally unedited from how it was the first time I wrote it down, um, I immediately thought up a story about wow. a little boy, a little boy called Aubrey, and and his sister, Aubrey's sister, um, a young girl who didn't have a name. And they lived with a man called Howard Howard, who had six fingers on each hand. And Howard Howard was their father and was, you know, I, I wanted to make a real brute of a father because even though my father was, you, you guys still there? Yeah. 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 I, even though my father was an absolutely wonderful man, um, you know, we always knew kids whose dads were, you know, like rough. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they were the 
you know, it's like, okay, you know, like the, the one of like when you'd go to stay at your friend's place and you'd be told to look out for the dad, you know, or like they, they, or that kind of thing, or like someone was going through a divorce and the dad was, you know, a, a thug. Um, so I put in, together this thing where you've got these two children and their thuggish dad and the dad is trying to break into the kid's room because he's going to beat them up um, for whatever reason, you know, like he's just doing that. And then what happens is this beautiful, he hears this beautiful music and goes downstairs and down on the doorstep is a nine foot tall uh, skeleton undertaker and an enormously um, rotund old woman, uh, both with a black pram and the tentacles shoot out of the black pram and the pram eats him uh, and he gets ground up into mints and then um, the mints is given <laughs> to the children. Um, and that was, that was what I, I wrote. And it, it's got a, it's got a lot more jokes in it than that makes it sound. It's, it's very, very funny, but it's just like this guy called Howard Howard meets these people called the grinders and they grind him up. And then Aubrey and Aubrey's sister um, get to eat their dad. Um, and that's, <laughs> you know, and, and, and this was just something that, you know, like I read it to people and I read it to people and they were just like, you know, like people who'd had any degree of trouble um, either with, with their own father or someone else's dad found it really liberating, you know, yeah. and, and that was among adults, kids, kids, I was told later, cause you know, like it was the publisher who read the book to their children. The kids thought that was hysterical. You know what I mean? Like, you know, really funny. So I got to, you know, I, they, they very nicely, um, gave me a kind of, uh, developmental deal. And then we, we wrote the entire novel and they went, oh, cool. Okay. We'll have the advance uh, for writing a, a complete thing and finish it. And I did. And yeah, and that's it. It's 300, it's 384 pages long, I think. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it came out of a man called Gary having the faith in me that I could write for children. And then me sitting down and just, you know, this initial blast of, okay, this is that, and that sort of creates a world. And then mm. now that we've created the world, we've got to populate the world. And in this world, um, there's a lot of very, very violent things, but that's always played to be black and comic. And there are a lot of very gentle people, but they're um, forever having to deal with these very, very unpleasant people. And then, you know, unpleasant people get their comeuppance, good people do well, and all of this. And just, yeah, just putting a just a through line of like a just a whole bunch of stuff there's oh no there's a there's a lot of fun there's a um there's a, a mysterious book of great importance there's um a thing called terry the terrible horse uh which is a um a nine it's a 900 ton horse that's covered head to foot in in barbed armor and it um it, it loves sugar lumps and doesn't realize it's covered with barbed armor so if it sees someone <laughs> you know what i mean like and so like and it it, it were it that's the horse that's owned by um chief superintendent sergeant sergeant lorenzo plug who's the head of the police force and so most of the police force are missing eyes and arms because this horse has come up to them and tried to get sugar lumps that they didn't have you know <laughs> things like that and yeah there's a, a lovely there's a bar that's run by these people carlo and boneless charlie and yeah, there's just a lot of stuff. Um, I put out a social media post the other day that um, when the horse kicks Aubrey, who's one of our main characters, um, in the head, it's described as the horse playing a lullaby on his skull. And then um, the footnote reads, um, here's a classic horse lullaby. Go to sleep, go to sleep, ignore the horse in your bedroom. Go to sleep, go to sleep, the horse has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> 
to bring that up because I saw that on your Twitter and that that has stuck in my head since I read it. That shows how powerful it is because I Do can't get it out of my head. Oh, it's going to be. Look, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I got to just go. I, I'm glad you can't get that out of your head, actually, because I just had to <laughs> I just had to go do the audio book. I spent three days recording the audio book for it. And I, I came out of that experience totally overwhelmed because, like, I, I had spent the better part of, I mean, really, like, I, I wrote the book in a three-month-long blast and then over the course of two and a half years edited it, um, you know, with obviously astonishing help from the editing team at Puffin. Um, but I I found, like, because I, I would read it out loud to people, you know, and, and then they would sort of, you know, like it was like a sort of oral thing, you know what I mean? And then, like, yeah. when you when I'd read the next chapter, because a lot of what happens in that is things in, things – Things loop in the little town of Maraville, so you're never gonna you're never gonna get lost for what's happening because if you are lost, you're gonna get told again, you know, by some action or some mm. character or whatever, right? Because you know, I wrote it for children, you know, and and in my mind, children have short attention spans, or more to the point, I do, and mm. I did when I was a child, <laughs> you know, and there I I can't remember who it was that was like, don't write for the child that you used to be, and I'm like, fuck that. I loved the kid I used to be. <laughs> and I've met a whole bunch of kids who were just like I used to be. You know what I mean? So it's like, here's a book. It's it's good for it's good for kids of any gender. It's good for kids who feel like they're having a hard time. It's good for kids who want to see somebody minced apart. And if you give it to a kid who's a bully, they'll be bloody astonished because most of what happens in the book is anyone who acts like a bully is brutally killed. <laughs> brutally killed killed and this is explicitly stated over and over again <laughs> that the reason they're being killed is because of their behavior so you know there's a nice punitive aspect to it um <laughs> did you ever get like you know the dreaded writer's block when you were writing this um yeah yeah a few times um we got there, there were a couple of moments where like i i became aware that some things were happening in the book that hadn't been set up in any way mm. earlier in the book and desperately needed to. And, um, yeah, like, so that was a, that was a huge obstacle. Cause like I was reading the book, this is quite late in the day at one point I'm reading the book and I'm just like, my God in heaven. Cause about three way, three quarters of the way through the book, a character suddenly pulled out this magical piece of technology that we hadn't heard of <laughs> up until then. And I just saw the word deus ex machina just flashing in my face <laughs> over and over again. And so I did what every comedian does. Like, you know, you know, you know, when a comedian does a solo show and they finish the show by finishing the joke they started at the start. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, yeah, cool. Okay. That's fine. I, I can write a setup. I know how to write a setup. This will be the punchline for that. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter that it's not funny. They'll just go, yeah, yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. That, that narrative loops closed. Right. Yeah. Cool. That explains what that thing was. Great. Great. <laughs> you know? But then I also realized, and well, not realized, I, I hope I'm right about this, right? But I've written a book where a whole bunch of new, exciting, dazzling things happen every chapter. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and, and in every direction from, okay, here's a new character to here's a new dangerous situation to apparently this can happen now. This is a thing that can happen in this land that has no rules, you know, all, all this sort of thing. And like, I remember being a kid. I, I would love that, you know, just to read a book where two characters who are a bit like me 
suffer intensely, meet a whole bunch of new things, mm. and then, you know, at the end, they're not stuck with their terrible father. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's, that's that. And, and it's interesting, you know, like the kids, the kids have, that have read it have loved it. Adults that have read it, I mean, some adults have come to me and they're, you know, they're not deeply concerned, but they're a bit like, mm, the children, the children eat their father. The children need their father. What, what's that about? What's going on there? Um, you know, or as the, as the publisher put it to me, um, one of the one of the people from uh, from Puffin, um, in a meeting, um, in, in, a, in a very early meeting, we have read uh, the part uh, where the children eat their parents. Uh, well, eat 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 their father. Uh, we've read that to our children. Uh, they like that bit. They like it the most. Please <laughs> please edit it so that the children seem to be enjoying themselves slightly less. <laughs> <laughs> which was a good note that was a good note i i yeah. read i read over that scene after they said this and i was like yeah I, I can see how if you weren't totally on the children's side you might find this deeply monstrous yes all right, all right. <laughs> but yeah it, it's just one of those things and also um also can, can i tell you my favorite bit is my favorite yeah, yeah please yeah. all right my, my favorite my favorite part of it is that um it's all set in in this place marrowville and marrowville is a very very strange town and um if you're in Maraville, you can't go anywhere else because uh, Maraville is surrounded on all sides uh, by mist, and uh, this mist has flying razor blades in it. So there's no point. <laughs> there's no point trying to go outside because if you go outside, the mist just flashes red and you don't come back. <laughs> and there are these two moments um, where the mist comes into play that makes me so happy. And and one is it's described how people in Maraville get food, um, and Outside of the mist somewhere, there are ducks, and ducks fly into the mist and get cut up by the razor blade. So families stand outside holding plates and just, just praying for a shower of duck. Yes. <laughs> right? So that, that's one of my faves. And there's also this one moment where um, one guy, oh, that's it, the Aubrey and Aubrey's sister have been running from the police and Aubrey's sister bumps into um, a guy and looks at him and suggests that he needs to get out of her way immediately. Mm-hmm. And he, he, that's it, he, he walks down the street and out of this story. And then about three pages later, he comes back into the story. And it, it, that's it. It's like the man, yeah, Aubrey's, it's something like Aubrey's sister wasn't paying attention. If she'd paid attention, she would see that the man who had walked out of this story had walked back into this story, had climbed onto the roof of his house and had jumped into a large balloon that was affixed there. <laughs> and then as she goes on, um, it's described like she, cause she's yelling cause they've had such an appalling day, you know, and she's just declaiming all the problems that have happened to it. And in the background, you can, you can see this guy in this balloon floating up into the mist and then the mistress, you know, like, Aubrey's sister didn't hear a loud bang as the man who'd walked out of this story fell to the ground, you know, just things like that. <laughs> so. well, you've said, you just said as well, you know, you've just completely doing the audio version of it as well. Yeah. What were the best and worst things about doing the audio version? Um, well, the, um, the best thing about it is uh, the voices. And to be fair, uh, working, uh, working with Roy, who's the head, of, um, the head of audiobooks over at Penguin, he's absolutely amazing, a, a terrific, just a wonderful director, a lovely guy, um, likes his whiskey. So we had, we had something to talk about. And, <laughs> and he, he's, also, uh, he's also a fan of Spike Milligan, as am I. So we had a oh, wonderful... Oh, great, yeah. Yeah, he, he wrote a play about him, actually. So that was super cool. And, and he got to meet him. So it was really, 
working with him was great. It was, you know, like meeting a kindred spirit and it was just deeply, deeply positive. Um, probably, probably the worst thing about it. Cause like, it was just fun. Like you're, you're doing the voices and you're, you're doing all of this. Um, <clears throat> probably, probably the worst thing about it was like, I, I need, I had to slow down as I did it. Um, and that meant that I'm not, okay. I, I can be a very good actor, um, but I just have to like I really have to know what we're doing and I have to really get into it right. Yeah. When when we're recording the the voice, um, sorry, the narration, I, I got really into it. But because we're doing it over the course of about six and a half hours over the course of three days, right? I would be into you know getting the sense out of the words, but I would forget what it was we had done previously. Right. So as where whereas I know that the book is a series of callbacks, right? I at one point I was just sort of like, Jesus, it's incoherent. My God. Like what's it about? And I come out of the booth and Roy's just looking at me like, What what's your problem? You know, like didn't you didn't you write it? What's going on? You know? And that and that was it. It was just genuinely me like like, you know, like I would I would have just like maybe done a paragraph and I've really gotten a sense out of the paragraph, but of course I'm doing, I'm writing a, you know, I'm pretty much doing a callback to something that we had recorded 18 hours ago, which I no longer remember because I'm not focused on that anymore. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, I had this experience of being lost in my own book for a minute, but that's not an experience that the reader will have, which is, you know, fortunately. <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, but that was, that was interesting. That was a hell of a, hell of a moment. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Could well, you see it turn into a series of books? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd love that. I mean, like, I would absolutely adore that happening. Um, writing the book was the single, like, seriously, the single most pleasant um, professional activity I've ever been involved with. Um, and, I mean, like, that that's aside from, like, doing the dark room on a really hot night, you know, like with a really hot crowd. Because mm. that, that's a beautiful feeling right there. But this was just something where, like, like the the dark room is something that I created, and it's something that I absolutely adore doing, and it's my, you know, it's it's my favorite activity, really, you yeah. know, to get to go and do that with people. But this was one of those things where I allowed myself to have a dream, which was to write a book. Right? I never told anybody that I wanted to write a novel, right? Because I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't like it when people declare their dreams at me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, we'll, we'll do it then. You know, yeah. like don't, you know, like I mean, if, if a child did it, you know, like brilliant. You know, that that's that's fantastic. I'm, you know, it would be like you would want to do everything you could to encourage that child. But when, like, I mean, comedians do this all the time. You know, like I want to do this or I want to do that, and it's like, well, don't fucking whine to me. You know, I'm not responsible for the fact that you're not doing that, and I don't want to hear that that's what you want to do. You know, like you, if you lay your ambitions out before me, I'm sort of like, well, that's great. <laughs> you know, go just do it, do it now. And so I didn't tell anyone I wanted to write a book, and then of course I, you know, just quietly got to spend three and a half minutes, you know, minutes, you know, three and a half months just living a dream that I had had since boyhood. Mm. So you do that, and then. The weird thing is it's actually it's actually a bit addictive. I'm like, yeah, I, I want to do that again. Mm. You know, my God, who doesn't want to, you know, sit in their house for three months and not have to do anything else other than occasionally, you know, kiss your wife and go, look, I'm just going upstairs to the magical fantasy world of my own invention. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just going to go make a whole bunch of people do exactly what I tell them. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I can't wait. You know, like I said, you know, we've yeah. talked off air. And, I, you know, I can't wait. I, you know, we're, we're going to put a written review of the book up on Thank the website. You. Uh, you know, and I really can't, you know, wait to read this. And, oh, yeah. and like so Chris much. said, I, I hope I hope there are, you know, this is just the beginning of many. Uh, because know, as, as listeners well, to our show, you know, this is the second time you've been on. And, you know, now that we've both seen you live as well, you know, you are quite obviously a guy with a very vivid imagination. And <laughs> the stuff that comes out of there, I'm more than happy to, uh, you know, to pay money for. To read. Oh, thank so, you. Thank yeah, you so oh, much. Oh, oh, absolute oh. pleasure. Oh, well, thanks. I hope. Sorry, man. You go. No, I was going to say, well, I've got a seven-year-old daughter, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, <sighs> this will be perfect. And the thought of me being minced up yes. and her eating me is probably going <laughs> to provide her with lots of entertainment. So. Oh, I hope so. Or, yeah. or, or nightmares. It look, you know, like what, one, one proviso I make when, I, like, when I'm doing things with children, you know, like doing children's entertainment, like when we do the darkroom for kids, right? You know your kid, <laughs> you know? You know your kid better than I do. I, you know... The, this book's allegedly for nine to eleven year olds. If your seven year old's going to be amused by you getting minced up, you read the kid that book. <laughs> you have a good time. I'm I'm just saying, like, if but if somebody's like, I I don't know, you know, like, I mean, I I ah, I, I I don't know. I was going to make some statement like, you know, if your kid's a bit nervous, maybe it's not for them. But then no, don't police kids' book choices. You know, I picked up a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff that my mum would have thought I'd have no interest in whatsoever, and it worked out fine. You know, yeah. And all, yeah, and also to be fair, like as I think about it as well, right? Because I'm, you know, I always think of the median age of it being aimed for, you know, like at age ten, right? I had seen the 1980s GI Joe movie, right, where somebody gets um, spores thrown into their face and it makes like weird, like appalling snake eyes come out of them. You know, I had seen Optimus Prime die in the Transformers movie, you know, the Power Rangers were continually beating people up. Things were insanely violent, right? That's at age 10, yeah? Mm -hmm. And then at age 14, I read William Burroughs' Naked Lunch. Oh, my God. Oops. <laughs> Oopsies. A little early. A little early for that one. A little early. <laughs> but you know you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kind of like, yeah, you know, kids are, kids are adventurous, they're creative, yeah. they're brave, and they're very good. Like un unless the kid is in is in that you know that very early state of oh no I heard a thing now I'm going to have a nightmare about it right kids are very good at at processing entertainment mm. you know they know they go no that's not real <laughs> yeah know? this yeah. is somebody having fun so that's good yeah. I, I hope that's still the case with books if it isn't well you know I look eagerly forward to introducing a new generation to bedwetting and um, <laughs> see what happens How, how's this for fun um, this is me, me and Roy having a chat and I've, I made some crack because you know the book's uh, 384 pages it's a bit long and I made some joke about being the Stephen King of children's books right <laughs> and then as I read through it I, I became very aware of something and I, I hope this reference lands for you because I was there going well you know I, I could be the Stephen King of kids books but obviously R.L. Stein um, has that title and then I was reading the way I write and I was like oh no I'm the James Elroy of kids books <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh my <laughs> Mmm, mm, a few more swear words and a little bit more 1940s slang, and think, think we're about there. <laughs> oh, 
Well, that's no bad thing in my book, definitely. Oh, look, I, look, I absolutely adore James Elroy, but there was just this point where I was reading and I was like, hmm, this seems really <laughs> evocative and insistent. And yeah. it, it really has said a lot, um, you know, like a lot of words are, and I, I feel engaged, but not, not much has actually happened. Who does that remind me of? Oh no! <laughs> look over, look over at my uh, my bookshelf where, like, I, at one point I went through to see who I had the most of, you know, and I'm like, okay, is it is it Philip K. Dick that I I've collected the most of? Is it is it Kurt Vonnegut? Is it Hunter Thompson? And then I looked and I was like, James Elroy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? That's interesting. That's yeah. that's surprising. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> You know, but still, you got to hand it to him. He's got a um, he's got a memoir that he wrote about thirteen years ago, um, the Helica Curse, uh, where he um, it's quite nice actually. He um, he refers to his um, his political posturing um, in, in throughout most of his career. He just sort of goes on about, oh, I was just trying to be, oh, I was just trying to be interesting, <laughs> just being contrarian for the sake of it. And I was like, oh, that, that must be quite nice, actually, to reach your 60s and then go, oh, I was such an immature prick when I was 45. <laughs> <laughs> must be great. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I look forward to it, actually. Oh, yeah. it should, be, should be fun. <laughs> well, John, be- before yeah. we wrap this up and we say goodbye, which, of course, is going to be purely for the edit and, you know, me and Chris will say goodbye off air. Of course, um, of course, this this false goodbye now, yes. Yeah, of course, yeah. The, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, you've you're so busy. I mean, me and Chris were talking off air before we joined you to the call, and you've got you've got a shitload of gigs that come in, especially through yeah. July and the rest of 2019. Uh, what what is the best way that listeners to our show can find and follow everything that you do online? Well, thank you. Puts on advertising voice. Um, mm. Head on, head on down to thejohnrobertson.com, uh, where you'll find the mailing list. Sign up for the mailing list. All live dates will be beamed direct to your inbox. However, you can also find them listed on the website. The Twitter handle is Robotron. R O B O T R O N. On Facebook, it's John Robertson Comedy, and you awake to find yourself in a dark room. Those will give you the dark room page and the John Robertson page. On YouTube, just write John Robertson Comedy or John Robertson Comedian, and there I am. Yeah. So, yeah, get aboard. Um, we were quite happy to discover that my um, YouTube channel, which I hadn't actually updated uh, really in two years, uh yeah, suddenly has, I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but when you don't update things, um, you know, suddenly I was like, my God, we've got over 6,000 subscribers. That's amazing. Oh, that's oh, great. Oh, it's fun. I uploaded yeah. a new video. I'm sure that when I check, a couple of them will have left now. You know, they were probably quite happy with the um, with the dormancy. But yeah, now I'm starting to put um, a lot a lot more stand up clips. I've got a I've got three year a three year backlog of darkroom shows and live stand up gigs that I'm going to put up, up online. So yeah, that's um that's everything there. And of course, uh, the book is the Little Town of Marrowville. Uh, you can pre order it on Amazon or anywhere, anywhere really. Anywhere you get your books. Mm. And of course, people listening to this can buy the book through the Amazon link on our website. Oh, uh, there we go. Yeah. And then we get a little kickback as well. How about that? Do it. Do it. That, that's <laughs> oh, yeah, the I, business, kid. The business like... is grifting and kickbacks. That's how it works. 
like I said, I cannot wait to you know to read and review this. Uh, I finally seen you live with my son. It is definitely not going to be for the last time. We can't wait to watch you again. Yeah, uh, thank and you. Uh, and this is you know mine and Chris second show with you. And I can say 100% it is not going to be our final show with you again. I can't wait to have you back on another show in the future, John. Because, Thank you very you know, much. You are, you are such a great guest. And, you, you know, I'm positive you're going to be putting so much more out there that we're going to chat about in the future. That, that's that's supremely kind. You are an absolutely lovely pair of gentlemen to have a chat with. I uh, thank you, thank you both very much. Let's not leave it three and a half years. Uh, this time. <laughs> no, let, yeah, let's make a promise that it's not going to be three and a half years. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd yeah. be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Thank uh, you so much. Al always a pleasure to chat with you. No, a lovely yeah. pleasure to talk to you too. Thank you both. All right, thank you. All right, catch ya. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another show. Uh, and what what an awesome show for a couple of reasons. Uh, John, for the second time on the podcast, as always, oh my God, so funny, so entertaining. And Chris, you too. It's It was really nice to have you as, you know, a co-host once again with John as well. Yeah, it, it kind of feels right, doesn't it? You know, it's, um, I mean, I, you know, I, you're the main man, let's be honest, when it comes to interviews and stuff like that. And I, I, I'll be honest, I, I just kind of sat back and listened to a lot of it. Cause we I both mean, did. <laughs> well, you, you know, so it's it's just, uh, I, I, but it didn't, I didn't want to miss out on it. And uh, it, it's one of those uh, where, you know, John just goes off on a tangent, doesn't leave with, with a lot of the things, but yeah. you can just listen to him. And you, you kind of, um, you know, we're really happy to promote people like John, aren't we? Just because you really want them to, to succeed. And, and the way he tells the story about the, how the book came about, you know, it's just as if these things are meant to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm so thrilled for him. I really am. And so I'm thrilled that he's busy, obviously, with his show, The Dark Room. But now with his book coming out, I mean, that's got to be so satisfying for him to see that. And when it actually comes out and it's on the shelves, that's going to be an amazing feeling for him. So and, and I'm going to be picking it up and, you know, I really encourage people to go out and, and get it because it sounds amazing, really imaginative. Just, yeah, can't wait for it. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to uh, do the written review on the website too. And like you said, you know, that this is one of the things about this podcast, which uh, wasn't really one of, the, you know, one of the things when it, it started, but it has sort of, you know, that snowball effect and it's become of the way that we can help promote people's work people whose you know whose work would really love you know and to once again get john on the show for the second time and hopefully uh, like we said not for the you know not for the last time mm. uh with this book that sounds so awesome <laughs> so awesome and again you know he's he's such a good guest and you know we've recorded for over an hour i think it's like an ongoing joke now you know that the podcast is called 60 minutes with and not many shows are 60 minutes they're either like well under or well over either way and uh, when you get somebody on the show where you can just sit back and just listen to them and they just entertain you and you know anybody that's going to listen to the show is going to be entertained as well so it's always a sign of a really good guest 
Mm. Yeah, and he's a really nice guy in person as well. I mean, when I met him um, way back in 2015, uh, and you just think, oh, I wrote my review, you know, it's just like, he's on the TV, he's not going to want to talk to me. Yeah. But, he, you know, he went round shaking people's hands, talking to people, you know, he's really generous with his time as well, isn't he? And um, as we said, he's extremely busy, you know, he's got that many live shows uh, coming up uh, that, you know, you'd think, well, he hasn't got loads of time to spare, but you know, he's so generous with his time, but he's a nice guy with it. And I think that's why mm-hmm. kind of one of the reasons why, you know, we're really happy to promote his stuff. Cause sometimes, you know, you meet people, I suppose, you know, if you say famous, whatever, uh, or, you know, you, you talk to them and they're not the people that you expect them to be. And, you know, they're a little bit funny or offish or whatever, but John's totally, you know, such a great guy really is. He is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he came onto our radar uh, like we said in the first interview show that we had with him, and anybody listening to this, if you've not heard the first show, please you know go back and listen to that uh, through Video Game Nation. You know he's a big video gamer as well, and of course with our shows, you know that you do, Chris, with ABC of Gaming as well. You know it, he crosses so many things that we love as well. Mm-hmm. You know with, with you know with yeah. video games and and films, and now with his books and everything. You know he's he's very similar, uh, and he's funny and he's rude, which we always like as well. <laughs> yeah yeah i say when it, when it starts off um and you know you never know how the show's going to start because i remember that from the last time we interviewed him it's, <laughs> it's sort of like just sort of going off on a weird you know weird and wonderful tangents and it's it's awesome yeah it is yeah because you know quite often you know we start these interview shows and you know we'll do like a pre-recorded intro um and then outro and so on uh but as people have just heard with this Every minute that we talk to John has been included in this because as soon as he got online with us, he's chatty, he's friendly, uh, he's funny, and how the hell can you cut any of that out whatsoever? Oh, yeah, it'd be a crime to do that, you know. Yeah, so. yeah it would be. All right, okay, so th- the usual end-of-show stuff, uh, website, uh, 60minuteswith.co.uk, contact us, form on there, contact us direct, which is, you know, contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk, news reviews podcast uh, the website is the hub of everything that we do we've got twitter we've got instagram lots of different things on either of those those are of course are at 60 minutes with numerical 60 not alphabetical like we always say that is again we just started it recently uh, a reddit group if you go on reddit and you search for 60 minutes with podcast again numerical 60 not alphabetical for every show that we release i'm putting a post up on there you can comment on the each individual show you can ask questions we can then respond to them uh, on the shows that we do uh I, well, I was going to say iTunes reviews, but it's not iTunes anymore, is it? It's Apple Podcasts. Oh, it's I changed, believe. doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully that'll make it easier for people to leave reviews and stuff like that, because I know iTunes could be an absolute ball oh, It's a pain in the arse, which I think is another good reason, like, you know, for things like the Reddit group, just to give us feedback, just to hear from people that listen to us, which is always nice. People that listen to the last entertainment show that me and you did. And we, you know, we read out uh, some correspondence from a couple of listeners. It's really yeah. nice, you know. So, you know, that's the way to keep in touch with us. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for listening to this. Another uh, interview show. Like I said, the second with John. 
definitely not the last. Watch out for the review of his book on our website. And uh, yeah, we will be back again soon. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, and thank you, Chris, for joining me and having a chat once again with the awesome John Robertson. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I couldn't think of a better way to spend my evening. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, summer, a summer's evening, having a good laugh with John. Yeah, awesome. <laughs>